0: Hello and welcome to The Rogers Brief for December 2nd, 2023. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I'm going to get to uh, some interesting stories this week from uh, the legal world in uh, Nova Scotia and a little bit across the country. Uh, I'm going to talk about some uh, cases that the Serious Incident Response Team, uh, the CERT, the Oversight Board or Oversight Mechanism for uh, Police Actions, is taking on a couple of uh, prominent cases uh, looking at that and looking at a court of appeal has uh, really come down pretty hard on uh, some comments from Judge uh, Alain Bégin, provincial court judge out of uh, Truro. Uh, so uh, i going to talk about that and, and talk about some of the comments that uh, Judge Bégin made that drew such ire from the uh, court of appeal. Uh, the case of randy riley this is the uh, murder case that was uh, overturned i guess uh, not guilty verdict this time around a retrial Uh, issue came up with the witness protection program i'm gonna talk about that i'm gonna finish off with uh, some litigation that's going on in ontario and the canadian civil liberties association has become involved and it has to do with housing and these encampments tent encampments that we're seeing pop up in just about every city uh, major city across the country so uh, i'll get to that there's some litigation ongoing there and some guidance uh, has been i guess uh, provided from some courts already Uh, but i'll talk about actually i should mention last week of course i did not do a uh, did not post a rogers brief i was away for uh, the weekend, an extended uh, trip over to St. John's, Newfoundland, to play a little hockey uh, with some guys from Nova Scotia. Anyway, uh, I want to follow up on the my last episode. I spoke about this manslaughter charge that's coming out of the uh, the UK with the hockey player on the ice who uh, whose skate blade clipped the neck of uh, his opponent and uh, Adam Johnson, who who died thereafter. As a result of the skate blade injury to the uh, hitting his neck so he's been charged uh, the other player with manslaughter while well, he's there's a process where he's he's gonna be probably charged with manslaughter anyway it's a little different over there but so uh, my view was that this was a very quick uh, you know hockey play an accident that happened and uh, sort of a freak accident some of the guys that I was over there playing hockey with uh, who saw it looked at it in slow motion many times they said they think he was trying to uh, the other player was trying to kick Johnson as he was coming across they had kind of lost position and was trying to uh, to kick him and so intentionally tried to kick well if that's the case and the the court finds that that was you know he was actually trying to kick somebody which you can't do it's more and it's a penalty but it's it's more dangerous than that than Uh, He may be be facing something, but it wasn't wasn't the way I looked at it. Other quick things before we start into the stories, Uh, just looking down at the states and I see that uh, the former President Trump has lost uh, an application, he was seeking to have a declaration that as president he was, and a former president, immune from criminal prosecution. Uh, The Judge, the courts have said no. Uh, Two of them actually have said this no, uh, just because of that, you're not immune as a former president. Uh, But if you can show that what you were doing, particularly on the January 6th stuff and trying to, you know, and the Georgia election, uh, you know, declaration certification uh, case. If you were doing it in the course of your presidential duties and you can show that, then that is uh, a defense, if you can uh, show that. All right, so keeping an eye on those things, uh, not a lot of applicability in a sense uh, to Canadian law since their uh, system is quite different down there in those regards. The other thing uh, just following up on, uh, this came out last week, but of course when I wasn't posting, I didn't get to talk about it, uh, the uh, Cameron Ortis case, this is the head of the RCMP Research Division, involved in some uh, some espionage, counter espionage uh, circles uh, in in Canada, accused of uh, trying to sell uh, information to money launderers, has been convicted by a jury of, uh, of trying to do so. Well, anyway, I had been following that trial much of it was in secret so hard to get a good read on it and of course you're just reading articles and coverage of it too so it's always hard to get a read on it from that way but i saw the reaction from his lawyer uh, who said he was a very experienced criminal lawyer in ottawa saying that he was disappointed in the jury system had never felt such um, you know such loss of faith in the jury system as he did after this verdict so you think, okay, well, that's just sour grapes. You lose a case and you're going to say something like that. Well, uh, this seemed like more than that. And of course, the defense lawyer is going to have quite a bit of insight into it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. This he is going to appeal it. Very difficult to appeal a jury verdict. I've done it once, so successfully, I mean. Uh, that's But that's a very, very rare thing because you don't know what the jury has thought about typically. In their deliberations well not typically you just other than hearing what the verdict is you don't know what they were really uh, thinking so usually on a jury verdict you have to attack the judge's instructions to the verdict to the jury and so uh, I'm sure the instructions in the Cameron orders case are going to be examined very closely at this stage and we can expect an appeal uh, to be filed sometime well I guess in the next couple of weeks now Okay, let's get into the stories uh, that I, I was going to focus on this week. Two, The first two involve the Serious Incident Response Team, CERT, in Nova Scotia, and this is the agency that reviews any activity by police officers for the potential for criminal charges to be laid against police officers. So whenever there's use of force, uh, any allegation of you know, sexual misconduct, anything like that, it's A file is sent to CERT and they, you know, determine whether charges should be laid after an investigation and they have some staff, they have, uh, and they have a director. Now it's an interim director and this is Erin Noss, who is a lawyer. She was, uh, I knew Erin Noss a little bit. Now we articled at the same firm. I was a year ahead of her. So I didn't know her well and I didn't really, uh, I know she had a good reputation at the time. And of course, uh, that Cox and Palmer, Cox Hansen at the time, uh, that was, you know, she came out of UNB. So she was a high achiever at that point. And I knew she went off to the Federal Department of Justice for some years and hadn't really kept up uh, on her career. But now she is the interim director at CERT after uh, the former director, Alonzo Wright, was uh, named uh, provincial court judge. And before that, there was uh, an interim director, uh, I think former Judge Pat Duncan, and before that, it was uh, Director uh, Felix Caccioni. So there's two things going on. One is a reconsideration of uh, former Justice Caccioni's and Director Caccioni's conclusions in the Mass Casualty Commission incident at the Onslow Belmont uh, Fire Hall. And people that have been watching. Uh, my videos and following along in the news will know what happened there, which was two officers showed up, pulled up short of the fire hall, saw a police vehicle and a person in a vest, and opened fire. The CERT investigation cleared the two officers, but many people, uh, the you know firefighters, community members in the area that you know witnessed the incident. Um, me who went to the site and said this couldn't possibly be the way they concluded it to be and then the Mass Casualty Commission was quite critical of it all as well in their report. Mass Casualty Commission actually had 16 pages on Onslow Belmont whereas the CERT report, the full report, was only six pages. So what now? So the uh, CERT legislation allows for a referral for, um, you know, a referral to an outside agency and in this case it is being referred to the Ontario equivalent of CERT, and they're going to come down and do an investigation. But problem is this. The initial cert investigation cleared the officers, said there should be no charges, and that is supposed to be determinative of the outcome. So after that CERT investigation cleared the officers, the two of them went and testified at the Mass Casualty Commission and, you know, said what they said. Well, now the cert release is saying new information came up as a result of the mass casualty commission report, and so now they feel they can investigate it again. If you were the lawyers for Brown and and the two officers, you would say that's uh, an abuse of process. That perhaps they would not have testified, or they would have testified, you know, under different circumstances with different preparation. Prob, but probably wouldn't have testified if they thought they were still at risk of being exposed to another investigation uh, through CERT. So uh, be would be curious to see what happens. By the way, also, so I think if the new information, whatever it is, is something that could have been discovered without their testimony or, you know, aside from their testimony at the Mass Casualty Commission, then maybe it can be used again. But um, I'd be curious to see and uh, see what the investigation unfolds. Probably take a few months for that to, uh, to take place and get a report on it. The other one they're doing, that CERT is doing, is opening up, well, they'd already done this. So back a couple of years ago, I think it was 2020, uh, the Justice Minister, Mark Fury at the time, asked cert to investigate the wrongful conviction of glenn assume glenn assume was convicted in 1999 Uh, 2021 cert asked the british columbia independent investigations office which is their equivalent of cert actually is uh, headed, headed up by ron mcdonald uh, who's a king's council lo- a lawyer former crown prosecutor out of anikinish somebody i knew quite well when i was starting out in practice uh, very good reputation as a prosecutor he was the head he was the first head of cert in nova scotia uh, did a good job there had a good reputation the uh, cert developed a good reputation under his leadership and then he went off to bc to do the same thing out there and from all reports has been doing a good job well In 2021, it was their agency, the BC agency, was asked to take over the Assume or to do the Assume um, investigation, but in April 2023, this year, they informed, so two years afterwards, informed CERT Nova Scotia that they were too busy. They had too much of a workload and cannot continue or do the investigation. Unclear from any of the information we have so far. How far, if at all, into the investigation they've already gone. So, apparently, so what the release from Aaron Noss says is that since April of 2023, they've been looking for an outside agency to take over this investigation from the BC one. One would presume, just based on the fact that CERT asked the Ontario agency to look into the Onslow Belmont situation. That they've also asked the Ontario agency to look into this one and maybe been told no uh, one at a time or something to that effect so question is uh, whether uh, and who might take on this uh, Glenn Assune investigation looking into some of the actions of the Halifax Regional Police in that case question I had when looking at this is what about private investigators there are private investigators in Nova Scotia, former police officers, others with good reputations, who could take on a task like this. But here's the problem. The legislation in the Police Act that creates CERT allows for uh, the director to get an outside agency to do it, but not an outside private investigator to do it. So uh, might be... Um, might be something they look at I mean you have instead of flying investigators in from British Columbia or Ontario or whatever housing them you know all of the expenses that are associated with that hire a private investigator to do it Uh, they wouldn't be as or maybe be seen as being beholden to the police in the same way that an agency an official agency like CERT who still has former officers there's some allegations that they work too closely with uh, CERT and such so maybe private investigators would uh, overcome that kind of reputational issue. However, on the other side, a private investigator doesn't have what I could say is the institutional legitimacy of assert cert or assert cert equivalency in some other places. So we'll see how uh, she has, Erin Noss has, that is, committed to uh, maintaining Public profile on this issue, and that she's going to keep us uh, keep us informed of uh, whatever happens next. Uh, so good uh, good for her in both cases. Uh, maybe she's enjoying the job and doesn't want to just be the interim director, but a, a permanent director. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Now, next one, uh, next case I want to talk about. and This was uh, in the news this week in Nova Scotia. The Nova Scotia Court of Appeal came down and described the behavior of Judge Alain Béjean from the the provincial court in Nova Scotia as astonishing behavior and then startling language. All right, so what happened? There was uh, an accused, so this is a case uh, where initials are being used because it's a sexual offense, sexual assault, sexual uh, invitation to sexual touching, and... um, sexual interference case, a guy and his his stepdaughter, uh, she was 14 when she reported, said that the guy had been abusing her since she was in grade three. So, uh, some bad stuff, uh, but initials are used to protect the victim's identity. So, R versus KJMJ. And so, the accused was on trial, and when they got to the end of the evidence, after the evidence was all in, then the uh, Crown and the defense asked the judge basically "Well, what do you where would you like us to focus our closing arguments okay which is can be helpful to have the judge tell you where you know where their thinking is or where they want you to pay the most attention but it has to be done in a certain way so what happened here the judge uh, Bejen was asked uh you know Sort of for preliminary thoughts or was was going to give his preliminary thoughts and this is what he said is he swimming with angels look at me sir is he swimming at angels and totally innocent absolutely not does he have issues and invited some young child to do stuff to him absolutely zero doubt in my mind he's got issues yeah i'm looking at you you've got issues sir you've got sexual deviance issues there's no doubt in my mind is it proven here probably not do you have issues yeah you do should you get them fixed? Do you, you should get them fixed. Do you understand? And then some other comments. And the judge says again, he'd be guilty of count three inviting a child to do stuff. That's where I'm at. Sexual assault, I'm not so sure. It goes on from there. So that was one thing. Uh, then the crown suggested, well, we'd still like to make submissions, even though you've sort of shown us where you're going with this. And then Judge Bajin says about his earlier comments, While it was recorded, it's an off-the-record comment and won't form part of the transcript because we just... I was invited to give some initial impressions, and I gave my initial impressions. I honestly don't know where I'm leaning on this for the most part. And then a few moments later, he said, So when they prepare the transcript, make sure they don't have my comments from when we sat back and talked. Okay, so last part was really where he uh, got himself on the wrong side of the court of appeal the uh, judge vision attempted to have those comments uh, not form part of the record so whenever you appeal a case the entire transcript all of the evidence exhibits and such are sent to the court of appeal and that forms part of the appeal record well uh, judge Bejin was claiming in an email he claimed privilege over those comments and the judge uh, sorry the Court of Appeal said that's just uh, not not on at all uh, that there is a open court principle that violates the open court principle and the strong presumption that justice should proceed in public view now I will say uh, as you know, lawyer that does a lot of criminal work there's it can be helpful or you know any kind of litigation uh, you know if you present your case to the judge and uh, all right well where would you like us to focus our arguments on you know on which count or which whatever uh, it can be helpful uh, I think probably the safer route is what normally happens which is to make your closing submissions, and then if the judge has any questions, then the judge asks those questions and you answer them. Uh, and then, you know, the judge presumably at that point has a, a fulsome understanding of your position, and hopefully, well, if you've been able to answer the questions in a way that's persuasive, then great, and if you can't, then that says something too, and the judge may rule against you or against your client. This this thing about, uh, so... And it's not terribly unusual to have some conversation from, you know, the two lawyers and the judge up at the bench, but that's all recorded and everybody knows it's being recorded and there's no, there's no going and putting it back, you know, putting the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, it's a different thing, like, all right, the trial's over and, uh, you know, the audio recording has stopped uh, you know, you might the judge might say something, might say hey you know, or ask about the family or you know, have some other conversation after that that has nothing to do with the trial or anything else or whatever and um, that's fine too but if it's recorded it's part of the it's part of the public record and uh, there's no there's no putting that back so mistake by Judge Bijan there to try to make any kind of a claim over that so uh we'll see i suspect it's going to be a new trial unfortunate for the people involved the victim uh in particular is now going to have to testify again hard to say too i mean you know anyway it could not, could end up with a, a plea deal on a retrial once you've done a trial once you usually don't need to do uh, too much work the second time around to understand what the the outcome is going to be Okay, uh, so that was. See if there's any other consequences for Judge Bejan there. Uh, I'm sure he's not too happy with that, the way that unfolded. Okay, uh, next case I want to talk about is this Randy Riley decision, and it was a decision after the trial was over. Randy Riley was convicted, and then his conviction was overturned. He spent uh, years in jail, and. Part of his conviction rested on the evidence of this uh, Caitlin Fuller, who was a witness uh, girlfriend of the real killer. So uh, she was for several years in the witness protection program. The cost of her protection in that program was over $600,000. So, but during, so her, and her credibility was. A key issue during the retrial, she was found to not be a credible witness. She was attacked by the defense for trying to milk the system, milk the witness protection program. So what happens afterwards, the witness protection program uh, decides they would like, uh, they, they saw some articles in the Halifax Examiner. I think CBC had posted some articles as well that identified Miss Fuller and the witness protection program and the amount... There was an order in the trial that prevented the media from publishing anything that would identify, that couldn't publish a photo of her, couldn't describe her in a way that would identify her, and, you know, that was it. But otherwise, you could say how much she was in the Witness Protection Program, how much it cost, and some other details. So everybody complied with it during the trial. But afterwards, the Witness Protection Program tried to get a retroactive publication ban, because they said just as the, you know, the, the overall, uh, the, I, I guess the, the mosaic of information that came out during the trial, if somebody knew her well, they might be able to identify her and these kinds of things. So they wanted it all banned retroactively. So this was unusual. Uh, that's, and that's the way Justice uh, Josh Arnold uh, treated it. Justice Arnold was the trial judge, uh, certainly uh, one of the top uh, justice trial judges in Nova Scotia at this stage, I think would be a, a fair comment. He was the top criminal lawyer before named, being named a judge. And he said, No, you can't do that. Everybody did it properly during the trial. Uh, you can't retroactively go back. And he made some comments. Uh, By the way, witness protection program, here's what you should have done. Uh, you should have asked for a different order at the beginning because you had all the disclosure you knew exactly where the defense was going to be going with this because they asked those questions at the preliminary hearing and by the way the witness protection program people didn't even show up there was nobody in the courtroom for her two days of testimony from the witness protection program that would have been there to take notes and you know, show concern or do anything like to say, oh, geez, you know, something she's she's being identified here or whatever, anything problematic. They weren't even there for a testimony. They just complained afterwards. So clearly, I would say the Witness Protection Program was embarrassed by uh, being exposed as having been manipulated by Miss Fuller, and they didn't want people to know about that. And so they were hoping for a retroactive publication ban didn't happen and so uh, there should be more questions about this witness protection program uh, leadership administration all of those things the way the they were used in this case all right last thing I want to talk about is housing everybody's seen this across the country major cities uh, you know geez Halifax and Sydney for sure other places smaller towns are seeing it too Uh, people are doing whatever they can for housing, so You know, terrible situation in many cases. I've seen this in, in, you know, in my work too, of people staying in bad situations sometimes because there's nowhere else to go. But people are trying to winterize trailers. uh, They're staying in tents. Tents are the big thing. So some cities are trying to deal with this by removing encampments. And these encampments are forming up in different parts of the city, often on public property, municipal parks some in some cases or you know underpasses anywhere where they can get uh, some a power hookup some shelter from the wind so people are sort of choosing their locations uh in some cases within ball fields for security purposes for you know shelter purposes and all these things so what is how are the courts going to view this because in london ontario they're been an attempt there is an attempt to remove encampments and they're fighting back the encampment people and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is has filed a brief in support of the uh, homeless individuals well people in in tents. and so what's gonna happen so I was reading through the brief and then referenced a couple of cases that have already been decided and so I can kind of see where I think this is going Civil Liberties Association is trying to show that there is a, you know, an overall right to housing under the Charter. Well, other courts have already come to that conclusion. Windsor, Ontario, and Victoria, B.C. Uh, there have been decisions arising from uh, encampments there, and the conclusions basically are yes, uh, shelter is a necessity of life, and if uh, there's not enough housing in, in, a, in a certain area, and then there's not enough uh, shelter housing. So what they call uh, low barrier accessible housing, a, sh- a shelter we can go, and then uh, you know with with some security of the person as well. And then they talk about all kinds of different situations too, where you know couples can are able to stay together or you know people with different different needs you know sometimes shelters don't work for everybody either and then there's discussion about you know security during the daytime you know is it just for sleeping or is it longer than that seems to be the conclusion that where where there's evidence that there are insufficient shelters and that's most places those thousand in the windsor situation there was i think a thousand uh too few shelter beds for the number of people that were out there uh, looking for them so if there are inadequate shelter beds then um, within reason these tenters are going to be free to choose the public space that suits them and that works for their needs you know as long as uh there's some balance between the overall public use of these parks and the need, the actual vital need for these people to uh, house themselves, have shelter, be able to survive uh, the cold conditions, then those people are going to be allowed to stay there. I think I, I see that this line of reasoning, I suspect that it will be likely adopted throughout the country by courts. So if I guess I'd say if cities, if municipalities are looking to, you know, use the courts in order to support their efforts to remove encampments from public spaces, I think they're likely to lose those cases. Uh, of course, there's specific, you know, there's going to be specific differences in each case, but the general thrust of these decisions seems to be uh, allow that uh, freedom of people to. Choose the place that suits them best in public if there's no other low barrier accessible housing available. So, I think the solution instead of uh, using the court systems, if municipalities and cities are looking to do that, is to build more shelters. Uh, you know, adopt, take in the hotel beds, do something, uh, and uh, find some shelters for these people. So, that's some interesting stuff. I mean, this is going to be a situation that. I mean, it's already across the country everywhere. it's, it's a terrible thing to see and uh, they're gonna have to find some adequate more adequate solutions to that okay so uh, I'll be looking uh, okay so tomorrow night I'm gonna be on the Sunday night show with Jordan Bonaparte and Paul Palango by the way uh, talked about this cert Onslow Belmont situation last week on the show I had Daryl Curry on there the deputy fire chief from Onslow Belmont. Uh, really good episode, good discussion with uh, Daryl. If uh, if you haven't seen it already, it's worth checking out. Uh, check it out as a YouTube video or a podcast. And I'm going to be asking uh, Paul this week about uh, the Cam Ortis verdict. I know we'll have some thoughts on that as well. So should be make for some interesting discussions. I've already gotten some other stories sent our way, sent my way from uh, Paul and Jordan too. So it should be a good show tomorrow night. So look forward to that. And we'll uh, be back next week with another Rogers Brief. So I hope everybody's uh, enjoying their early December, getting their Christmas decorations up, all those good things. And uh, so thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.